0: Grief touches every life and tests every heart. Even when we prepare for grief, it often knocks us to our knees. We are the Time with Giants show. Join us as we connect with giants of the faith who are experiencing the power of God in the midst of chaos. Whether your life is going great or you are in the middle of that chaos, welcome to our show. listeners, I am so thankful that you have joined Time with Giants today. Now, you may notice I am alone in the studio if you're watching our video um, of our podcast. My dad is currently with our interviewee, Mr. Peter Williams. This is an exciting interview, one that I'm really grateful that we get to have on our show, so stay tuned. First, I want to thank our sponsor, uh, Fire Cloak USA. Firecloak USA has sponsored our podcast, and they have a really unique product. They make fire blankets for electric vehicles. Um, So please check them out, and we're grateful for them. Secondly, as our listeners, I just wanted to make you aware of how you can help us. There are three ways that you can help us. You can share our podcast. So if you uh, like this episode, please share it with a friend who needs to hear it. You can subscribe or follow our podcast, depending on which platform you're using to listen. Um, If you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you would follow us, and then you'll get a notification when we drop a new episode. If you're on YouTube, you can subscribe. And then lastly, you can give to our podcast. We have a link in our show notes, and you can give to our podcast there so that we have the resources we need to keep making good content um, that glorifies the Lord and can encourage you. So now let's jump into our interview. So Peter, we are so thankful that you are here with us today. Would you just give us a little snapshot of who you are? Because I, for one, am still kind of reeling that we get to have some face time with you right now. So can you tell our listeners who you are?
1: Yeah, so I'm uh, Peter J. Williams. The uh, middle initials uh, stands for John, sometimes important to distinguish me from other ones. I come from uh, Cambridge, England, where I'm the CEO uh, of a ministry called Tyndale House. It's not the same as the publishers, Tyndale House. It's a a study center in the uh, square mile where DNA was discovered, the electron was discovered. uh, It's there in Cambridge, next to an 800-year-old university. We've got over an acre of land and six buildings, and people come from around the world to study in the library of the Bible that we have. And our aim is to raise up uh, people who want to serve the church and uh, tell him, uh, t- Tell people about uh, God through really getting a very firm grasp of the Scriptures at a scholarly level, and uh, I have a wonderful wife called Catherine. We've been married twenty-seven years and two adult children, and uh, I'm delighted to be here in Oklahoma.
2: Well, Peter, I'm I'm so grateful to have you. I just want us to kind of dig into uh, what it means to be the principal of or the leader or the CEO of of Tyndall House in mm-hmm. Cambridge, because. I think to um, most of us that are in the non-scholarly world, mm-hmm. we don't understand that. Tell us the contribution of Tyndall House in Cambridge. Well, it's a
1: bit like West Point, I suppose. It's a place where a lot of people who be, who go into Bible scholarship uh, at a very high level have come through. So uh, people like Wayne Grudem, D.A. Carson, J.I. Packer, and others uh, who have had huge influence with large numbers of their books uh, selling have gone through and not just those but also people who would not be so well known who've gone off to various parts of uh, the world or come from uh, various parts of the world. So I can look at people who've headed up the Japanese Bible translation or have been involved in Bible translation in Indonesia or people who've gone to teach in seminaries uh, in Brazil and lots of people have just come through us. We don't do degrees. We're not a qualification awarding organization. And that's really good because it means we're not in a rival relationship with any um, other institution, but we have uh, nearly 60 spaces in our library. We've got the best library in the whole of the UK for the Bible and we have accommodation. So people come and they live in this community and it could be they live there for a week or for three years. And therefore it's the most networked place for evangelical Bible scholars in the world. And it's there on the doorstep of a, um a historic university which is not a uh christian in its ethos uh, and and uh that's a, an amazing opportunity we are within eight minutes walk of a huge 10 million volume library where people can borrow books and bring them to their desk uh, and uh in tinder house and people we have coffee together we have worship together and we are looking to foster uh Uh, scholarship we also have our own research projects so we have been involved in sponsoring research on old testament and new testament and in bringing in and funding people from poorer countries to come and uh, study and get equipped and go back to uh, their own place so we've got people from uh, ethiopia south africa Uh, right now we've got people from brazil all sorts of different places Um, uh, kazakhstan Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a great Privilege to have people from those places and to help equip them. And the level people are working at is usually doctoral level or above. Mm-hmm. So to have 50 to 60 people working at that level uh, in a worshiping community is a really incredible thing.
2: Wow. That's, and now, probably a lot of our listeners have something in their, in their houses and in their hands that you were a part of most of a lot of us uh in my listeners in our in our church we use the esv yep, sure. translation of the bible tell us your connection to that esv translation
1: so i'm on the english standard version uh, committee the translation oversight committee for that so uh was involved in uh, some of the meetings deciding on <laughs> uh, the the wording there and uh, it's been a delight to be involved in that and a lot of the work on that was actually done physically in cambridge um in uh, tinder house so you know 50 50 yards from where my bed is and you know uh very close to my office Um uh, that's where it was done well that's pretty remarkable emily
2: well that, thank
0: you uh, so much for your work there because that's my favorite translation of the bible to the one i'm using right now so thank you for participating on that committee
2: so if you look closely i'm sure you can find peter williams name in some little footnote somewhere in
1: that uh well in a, actually in a normal edition of the esv you won't see the names of the translators oh, wow. And that's the, the the usual custom. I mean, King James doesn't t- list the translators, neither does mm-hmm. the NIV, and I think that's very appropriate. I mean, right. as in, this is um, this is God's word. People sometimes ask me to sign Bibles, and I've, I've followed um, uh, John Piper's uh, system of never doing this. That's awesome. Uh, so you know, this it's it's God's word. Happy to sign a book that I've authored, but this is His book.
2: That that's a that's a great. Let's just. Let that stand right there. That's a pretty incredible statement. Now, Peter, I do want to talk to you a little bit. bit, And I want to kind of lean into this idea of this book that you have written. And I've got a copy right here. It's called The Surprising Genius of Jesus. And I want to thank you. Uh, You have met my son. My son Mm -hmm. writes an original song for this podcast. And I I just want to let you know that um, as I was raising him, we had a moment of manhood where mm-hmm. we went on a trip mm-hmm. and we talked about uh you know values that I wanted to pour into his life. And and we went through your book. Mm. Your book called Why Trust the Gospels. Can we trust
1: the Gospels? Yeah.
2: yeah. And, and, and and so I just want to thank you for yeah, writing that book that I used in my parenting. Oh, lovely. And uh, and as I was trying to push my son without apology to follow Jesus. Thank yeah. you. Good. for contributing to the raising of my son, yeah. who is a part of this podcast. But but tell us a little bit about the surprising genius of Jesus. Listeners, I, I want to challenge you to consider this book. Though he's a scholar at a at a high level, this is a book that I'm about to read, but I've heard about the reviews. It's understandable. It's not something that a scholar you have to be a scholar to understand it so tell us yeah. a little
1: yeah well i start with the cover actually if you can show the cover again yeah. uh, because actually got this wonderful shot a drone shot of the prodigal son leaving and it goes to the pigs and the father's embrace down here and just below the father's embrace is some hebrew um and that's actually a reference to the bit in genesis 33 where um you remember the climax of jesus's story of the prodigal son that as the son returns, the father sees him far off, and it says he runs, embraces, and kisses him. And there's only one place in the entire Bible that that phrase comes up in the Old Testament, and that is when, surprisingly, stunningly, when uh, Jacob is returning from a far country, his brother Esau, who's been cheated out of his his entire inheritance by Jacob runs, embraces, and kisses him. And it's just got the Hebrew from there just below that. Wow. And so one of the things I'm arguing in that book is that Jesus, in this amazing three-minute story in Luke 15, uh, the, the story of the two sons or the prodigal son, is um he's engaging with mixed audiences. He's got tax collectors and sinners. Sinners you don't expect to study the Bible very much, people who are like actually. Classified as sinners, you know, somewhat professional in what they're doing, yes. and then you've got scribes and Pharisees there. Well, scribes' job is to copy out the Bible, so you've got Bible experts there, and you've got people who don't care so much about the Bible. And Jesus amazingly can teach both levels at once, like like a Pixar movie where you've got things for the adults as well as for the children yeah. simultaneously. Except on steroids, that's what Jesus is doing. So he's telling a simple story. Uh, which anyone without any Bible background whatsoever can understand. And they can see um, running away from the father, running away from God, and how they can return and be welcomed straight back unconditionally. It's an amazing story. And every single word in that story is carefully weighed. And argued. argue it all comes from Jesus. But it's also got many, many layers. So when he says, for instance, a man had two sons, that's how the story begins. What's that remind you of? Someone having two sons. Anyone no. who in the Bible has two sons? Um, Isaac. Has, Isaac has two sons. That's has, good. Yeah, Any yeah. other ones?
2: Uh, I guess um,
1: they they can have some more later. But Abraham, Abraham. had two Abraham. sons. Yeah. Okay. Right? Anyone else? Um, okay. We could also add Adam. Adam. Some okay. Yeah, Adam. Has, three. I mean, obviously Abraham has more sons right, later right. as does Adam, but Isaac's the one most famous to, yeah. to have two and King only two Abel. sons. Uh, and so, what's so striking about that is. Jesus's story echoes all of that. So um, Isaac has two sons and one, the younger son, cheats the older son out of the inheritance. Therefore he has to flee off to a far country Mm -hmm. where he looks after animals. And it's on his return that that he's expecting that Esau's gonna splat him. He's coming to get towards him with 400 men. And then it's stunningly, I think it's the most surprising narrative turn in the Old Testament that he runs in races and kisses him. And Jesus uses that, but there are lots of other references to that story in there because uh, you see that um, the son gets the robe. Well, that the, the when Jacob was tricking Isaac, his father, who couldn't see afar off, he wore his older brother's robe. So when he, uh, the father says, "Bring out the best robe," you know, whose robe is that? Um, uh, and uh, you have. Um, the young um, Esau complaining, you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. When's the only other meal in the Old Testament where people have young goats? That's um, uh, Jacob feeding his father, Isaac. And all of these things are going on with this reference to this story, which is really about the envy of the older brother to the younger brother. But even Esau, who's a bad guy in the Old Testament, forgave his brother. But also a man had two sons. It sounds like Isaac and Ishmael. Now mm-hmm. in the, the story, the father runs, but the father seems to be an old guy in the Bible. Do we know if any other old guy in the Bible who runs? Yes, Abraham, Genesis chapter 18, he sees three people coming to, towards him, and it says he ran, and that's really stunning. Every scribe would notice that because he's 99 at the time. Right. Uh, so that's really, really stunning. What's the first word from Abraham's mouth? Quick. That's the same first word from the father's mouth in Jesus' mm-hmm. story. And he, then he barks to Sarah, quick. Three seers of flour. Okay, so it's a very specific measure. Now, there's only one place uh, uh, you get three seers of flour uh, in the Old Testament. It's there. Jesus picks up that phrase and puts it into his shortest parable, where he says, and it's in Matthew and Luke: um, the kingdom of uh, God is like a leaven which a woman put in three seers of flour until it's all uh, um, uh, fulfilled. And what you see with that is it all grew that. From Sarah and Abraham entertaining those three heavenly guests when they had no children of their own uh, uh, between them comes the seed that can't be counted, the like like the stars, like the sand. So that's what the kingdom of heaven is like from that bake-off. Uh, yeah. An amazing um, uh, cooking that Sarah did has come so much. And that's all in Jesus' little story. So Genesis 18, verse 6 is is really key. Abraham ran, says, quick, three sears are flat, and then he goes off and gets the fatted calf. <laughs> he's the only other guy who gives away his inheritance while he's still alive uh, in the Old Testament. But he doesn't give it equally between the two sons. Why not? Because when he puts on a feast for his younger son Isaac, when he's getting weaned, the older son Ishmael is despising it. He's laughing. And that's when Sarah says, cast him out. So if you despise the feast for the younger son, you're cast out. So you think about that, if you're a scribe and a Pharisee aligning with the older brother, if you don't accept the younger brother, you don't accept that tax collectors and sinners can come into the kingdom, there's a problem. You lose your inheritance. But then a the man had two sons. Think of the first family we have in the Bible is Cain and Abel, where you have this envy of the older brother towards the younger brother, something Tim Keller has pointed out. And so uh, that's where there's a, a parallel uh, uh, go, going on uh, because, of course, there they are out in the field, and you uh, find this um, reasoning of of God mm-hmm. with that envious older brother, just like the father is reasoning with the oldest um, brother in, in in the parable. Um, so it's got all of those. It's also got the story of Jacob and Laban. All these years I've been working slaving for you that's basically what jacob says to laban when laban catches up with him i've been working 20 years to get your daughters and your flocks um and it's also the story of joseph um because he uh is uh the one who gets the ring and the robe suddenly it's uh, the, when he comes out of prison uh, before pharaoh it's the only other instant lasting rags to riches story you get in the bible so yes there's the exaltation of mordecai uh, in esther and there's some references to esther in this story as well but um that's what seems to be going and he's the only other father who's dead uh, sorry son who's dead and alive again as far as his father's concerned so um joseph comes back from the dead it's a time of great famine there's a great famine in jesus story so every bit is lifted from that um and it's basically all of genesis's greatest hits
3: Mm -hmm. when who
1: says i'm dying of hunger before that's not the younger son that's Esau comes in from hunting you know mm-hmm. and, and so you find reference basically every phase in Jesus' story comes from Genesis so to be able to bring together all of these things into one three minute story is just stunning artistry and it's not just artistry it all makes moral points you need to be welcoming of strangers like Abraham you mustn't despise um, your younger brother like uh, Ishmael you, even Esau is an example of forgiveness joseph forgave his brothers an awful lot uh, laban has to come to peace with the fact that god's going to bless jacob all of these things um are points that are made now do the scribes get it i don't know or not um but jesus puts it there he is the genius and you have to listen to him and it's not about intellectual ability he says let the one who has ears to hear hear and what we know is that on the whole those with great intellect think they're too clever for god uh, and you know christ is convicted sentenced to death by the greatest body of academics among his people mm-hmm. so um that's something that, that's a warning to all of those you know involved in in the academy that often uh, those at that level uh, can be on, on the wrong track obviously there are people um like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who who get more onto the right track, although they're not quite as bold as as some of the ordinary folk. Um, So that's where um, we just see so much genius in Jesus' story. That's incredible. Emily?
0: I I had never put it together that the scribes wrote down Scripture by hand, and so therefore they would have caught all of the references Jesus had woven in. I, I... That is such a neat thing to consider. Um, Because obviously the scribes wrote down scripture. I knew that, but I hadn't connected those dots. That is really neat.
1: And I think there's an open question for me is whether they caught it or not. I think it's certainly there. I think if they didn't have ears to hear, they might not have uh, listened or or, or they might have been unimpressed by Jesus' story. Uh, Certainly, I think that's very easy because he doesn't, use the complicated terminology that um, intellectuals typically like to use. Uh, Intellectuals like to use often more complicated phrases than they need to to make a point. And so uh, and then they're unimpressed if you don't have that. Uh, And Jesus has this amazing way where he is aiming for a very simple audience. And yet there are vast layers of intellectual depth in it. Uh, and you only can have that if you have a complete understanding of situations. So he has such a complete understanding of the human heart and of uh, situations that he's able to do this. It takes genius to simplify.
2: You know, okay, let me ask you a question. Because as, as you were talking about the older brother and the younger brother, would would Gentiles be the younger brother to Israel? Or would that be a comparison? It's more of a question. Well, uh that,
1: that can work as well, and, and some people have seen the story of Israel in this. But what I'd start with is, is you've got these four audiences that are named in Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. Tax collectors and sinners, uh, scribes and Pharisees. Now, your tax collectors um, take money off you, the hardworking Pharisee, and give it to support your oppressors, the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're not very pleased about that. Um, and so the thought that they can cuddle up to Jesus and get close is deeply threatening. Like you've been spending all of your life keeping the rules. That's what Pharisees do. They're rule keepers uh, and tax collectors and sinners are rule breakers in religious terms. And the thought that they can like, they've ripped you out of your money and they're getting access to God. No, thank you.
2: Mm-hmm, yeah.
1: Get in line. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so it's a very challenging thing within that setting. That doesn't have to bring in sort of uh, Gentiles there. But there is, of course, this principle of reversal, which is going on uh, again and again in the Bible. So as in Deuteronomy, where God says he didn't choose Israel because they were the strongest and the best, because they were the smallest. Um, And similarly, uh, if Israel then becomes proud in its position, yes, God can go uh, elsewhere and bring other people in. But there's still one, one plant uh, in, in 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 God's plan, as it, it says in um, Romans. So I think uh, it's always worth um, anyone who thinks they stand should take heed lest they fall. Uh, mm-hmm. That that uh, again and again, God is able to support the uh, underdog. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah, that's incredible. You know, I think it's so valuable to get to rub shoulders with Peter today because uh, as a as a scholar one that has spent has devoted his life to the details of scripture you know peter it's such a blessing to 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 get to rub shoulders with this book that is really readable for common the common follower of christ which i would say that that would describe me and and our listeners Our we we love the lord and but but and, and we we've come to know christ as our savior and we're grateful but but i'm so thankful for your contribution Mm -hmm. and the way that you have been able to discern and understand the details of Mm -hmm. scripture and help us connect the dots from the the old testament narrative to the new testament narrative um to the life of christ and i just want to encourage you uh this is available on amazon it's out of crossway uh Books, publisher, and and you can find this anywhere uh books are sold. And and I and I would assume is there an audio version of this?
1: Uh, I think there will be at some stage.
2: Okay. So but uh man, just uh want to encourage you to 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 check this book out. And um the surprising genius of Jesus. Now now why would the genius of Jesus be so valuable for us to understand?
1: Well I think mean, part of it is just for us to worship him, uh just to be in awe of him i mean i am in awe as i think about this longest story ever told three minutes uh, and how much he packs into that Mm -hmm. and i don't know of any storyteller who can tell a story like that and so i'm in awe it's jaw dropping and that's just what our our response should be but then there's a further element. if he's the best teacher and he knows everything we should be following everything he says so there is that um example that that uh We have so much worldly wisdom around and here we have the teacher of all teachers and we need to uh, pay pay heed to him. Um, Then, of course, there are lots of lessons within the story um, where we're dealing with really basic family relations uh, and uh, the need for forgiveness and the need uh, in that story to accept uh, those you might want to have rejected from the family.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, our our podcast is called time with giants and uh in the and the point of this is it's a spiritual discipline Mm -hmm. that i wrote about years ago in a book that i wrote uh, on spiritual disciplines and the discipline is is that there are giants of the faith that have lived Mm -hmm. in the past and in the present that we should know about you know paul talks about you know um definitely the the point of this is not to follow a man mm. but he says follow me like i follow christ and, and and you know god has put us in community and around other people that we're to that are to spur one another on mm. that we're to we're to exhort one another we're to push one another and 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 that's the purpose of this podcast if we get to rub shoulders with you as a giant of the faith
1: well i certainly don't feel like a giant of the faith and you know i can think of- you can always talk to my family members, and I don't think that they quite uh, quite see that. But um what I would say is, I hope as people read this book that they will just be amazed at the layers of depth there are in Jesus' teaching, and therefore will be driven more closely to study His teaching and to expect more. And if that's the outcome, I am really happy because uh, you know the emphasis needs to be on our amazing Savior.
2: Well, I'm, I'm grateful now, Emily. Uh, we have some incredible people that have walked with the Lord that we've been able to interview. I would say that Peter is arguably uh, one of the greatest um, apologetic minds in our world. Um, and uh, apologetics, not as I'm sorry, apologetics, for those of you that are listening, is is a defense of the faith. Just Give us a short answer on some popcorn questions. Emily, what do you got?
0: Absolutely. Sorry I've been so quiet. I'm just kind of soaking it all in. Um, so one question in particular I would love to hear your response to is how can we have confidence that the Bible is trustworthy? I know that you've studied it, you've written about it, and at, you mentioned that in, at Cambridge you've studied the history of the Old Testament and the history of the New Testament and how they're woven together. So how can we know that it is completely trustworthy?
1: And I think there are many answers uh, to that. Uh, So I uh, grew up in a Christian family and had very trustworthy parents whose lives have been changed by the uh, gospel message. And it's quite rational to say, I trust that this is true because trustworthy people have told me it's true. And there is that sort of experimental experimental element where uh, you can distribute the Bible in prisons, and people can read it, and it can transform people's lives so that they turn away from crime. I'm not saying it's simple, but there have been so many examples of that. You don't have that happening with uh, people handing around secular books, let's say. You know, um, Dawkins' God Delusion isn't responsible for turning people away from uh, crime in prisons, whereas we can give so many examples of that. So there's that level. Then there are levels of the prophecy, where we can say, look, uh, our... um, our bibles are divided into two unequal divisions you've got the old testament the largest part and the new testament the smallest part but in ter- terms of the um opening scene in in the bible the opening storyline uh with the, the humans there is this scene really at a tree where uh, humans make the wrong decision and they take the fruit and uh death ensues that's like the beginning of a story and if you are beginning a story, you think, well, how's that story going to end?" Now one thing we know about that is that beginning of the story was not written by Christians. So we can go to any synagogue in the world and ask, "Did Christians write that story?" And the Jews will say, "No, no, no, that definitely comes from us. That's a Jewish uh, story. That's Jewish scriptures. It's been around before Christianity came along. Now then you look at the facts, the known facts of Jesus' life, and it is known that this person, who also seems to come up with amazing sayings like." do unto others what you'd have them do to you, the golden rule, or render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's, or turn the other cheek. Amazing sayings, the truth will set you free. So many of them. This teacher who is also reported to have performed lots of miracles and lives a perfect life and so on. This teacher dies on a tree. Um, Yes, a cross is not something with plain smooth wood. It's a tree. And he dies on that, and then amazingly, uh, this belief arises that he's risen from the dead, and now, and people come to worship him. Now, in the Roman Empire, how, how is anyone going to start worshipping someone who's, who's lost so badly by dying uh, on a cross uh, in, in their eyes? And uh, this whole thing starts, and that is an amazing counterpart to the beginning of the story. But we know it wasn't written by the people who wrote the beginning of the story. Now, the very fact that you can have that sort of storyline across the Bible involving this real historical person, involving facts that we can show even outside the Bible, namely that Jesus is executed on a tree at a particular time. And oh, by coincidence, he happens to die at Passover time, just when the Jews are celebrating their biggest deliverance uh from uh egypt and he dies right uh, by their capital city all of these things come together with the remarkable nature of the jews and their history as a people group and all the remarkable teachings and lots and lots of prophecy and you start saying this this can't all be made up um so this is astounding and then we can go into archaeology and the fact that so many things from the bible have been validated by uh discoveries uh so i think if we go back to the days of, let's say, Jonathan Edwards or before that to Calvin and Luther, we go to Whitfield and Wesley, they would be stunned to know that some stones turned up out of the ground with David's name on. But that's what's happened. No, that David's a real figure. That at their, in their day, the earliest Hebrew manuscripts that would have been available to them in the Old Testament would be 12th century AD, something like that, maybe 1100. Um, not much earlier. And here we have. David is 2,000 years earlier than that, showing up out of the ground. That's just astounding. So I think all of those things together can give you confidence that this is valid. Now, it's important to note we can't prove it. A lot of people sort of come out with proof, but then you can't prove all sorts of things in life. We are social creatures. We depend on other humans to live. We can't prove ever that they're not going to betray us uh, there's you know the most trustworthy person in the world um, you don't know you can't prove in a mathematical sense they're not going to um betray you but uh, the good thing is uh that we are wired as humans to um distinguish between trustworthy and untrustworthy we sometimes get it wrong because people can be very complex but we have all of the signs of personal trustworthiness in the scriptures. So the scriptures are structured, so they don't give an advantage to those with great intellectual pedigree. They are structured so that if you seek, you find, and if you don't seek, you stumble. That's what I'd say that is the nature of the evidence running throughout the scriptures.
0: Great response. Thank you so much. Okay, one more question I have for you. Sorry, dad, I interrupted you. Oh, you're good. You're good. Uh, so I'm not a scholar, but I love to learn about the Bible what tools would you recommend for someone who is trying to take their Bible study a step further from just reading? um, And they're wanting to understand more of the context of what they're reading.
1: So I would say it is good to read the Bible and in in more literal translations can give you uh, a better sense of things. And I sometimes switch out translations I use. Obviously, I often read the originals uh, because it can slow you down and you just see more things. And then, of course, you have study Bibles, which can give you some background. And beyond that, you can go to uh, uh, books at at, at different levels. But I think sometimes what it's good to do is to um, try and go deep in one particular area, because when you go deep into one particular book, you start understanding what depth is. Uh, Now uh, now might not be the right time to visit the land of Israel, but I I would always uh, recommend that to to get your head round. uh, something, uh, but there isn't one particular resource. I would say I learn a lot actually in my own ha- uh, church home group. So even though I'm a scholar uh, and so therefore I obviously learn from scholarly books as well, I also learn a lot from just seeing the angles and perspectives that ordinary uh, folk have to share. So I would I would recommend uh, mixing it up. Uh, of course, there are great podcasts. There are great um, uh, books to read. As C.S. Lewis said, when you read a new book, think about reading some old books, people from a different era. It's not that that, that from that previous era, uh, they don't have blind spots. They've just got different blind spots to our own ones. So therefore, reading older commentaries uh, can be worthwhile. People, classics like Matthew Henry, you can learn a lot from. And often it's just interesting to watch how different they are. But then you read that alongside some of the modern commentaries. Um and that that can be fascinating. Uh, the whole concept of a commentary has almost changed where um, there, there's, there isn't so much what we would call exposition uh, of, of, of the uh, argument or, or commentaries over the last few centuries have changed uh, from saying, speaking primarily of, of each book of the Bible as God speaking, to talking much more about the human speaking and sort of secondarily God speaking through that um and that's an interesting thing just to plot that's why reading stuff from a previous era can be really helpful because you just start seeing are we drifting in an unhelpful way i mean i think it's great to think about the style of luke's writing uh, in its own right but if we're doing that at the expense of the thought that god's speaking mm. uh, that's not a good thing mm. so uh, that's where i would say mixing it up and doing it not just study on your own but in community with other people is really helpful
2: you know i think that's a really great point because you know the primary audience for us is our church Mm -hmm. and i think what what you know for our listeners i just want you to recognize the importance of a local church uh because it's in the local church that we can really flesh things out together and 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 see different perspectives and what a brilliant idea i've never thought about just how the shift in my time of study how we put more emphasis on Peter or John or and, and, and or the criticisms mm-hmm. of the of the text versus recognizing God is speaking mm-hmm. and really highlighting that it's God speaking through his word.
1: Yeah. So I'd say just generally as a reading practice, a lot of times I read it about 10 pages an hour. So, you know, people often think, oh yeah, scholars, they just skim through things. Now, obviously it depends on what you're reading, you know, how many words there are on each page and how well you know the subject. Because if you know the subject really well, you can skim over stuff more more quickly. But I would recommend slow, thoughtful reading of high quality material. So one of the problems is we've got lots of low quality uh, material around. Uh, The noise to signal ratio is not very good uh, at, at the moment. So that's where you, When we're deciding to read something, we're sort of implicitly deciding not to read other things. Mm -hmm. So I do think it's really, we have to be quite fussy about what we read.
2: Okay, so Peter, I have a question. Why would you say, I know you've kind of alluded to it a little bit, but why would you say Christianity is unique among all religions because you know we live in this growing i guess it's always been pluralistic right but but why would christianity
1: be unique well you know the one word answer to that it's j-e-s-u-s um so uh and everything yeah about i mean it's about a person it's not about a religion and obviously uh it's not about working our way up to god but god coming down and, and reaching us up and that that's um that's the center of it but of course there are many other aspects that, that 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 fall out from that i mean the scriptures that we have are unlike any other ancient set of, of books you don't have the sort of same level of verification of things happening in the quran or homer's iliad as i think you get in uh, the bible as a whole where well, there are 60 to 80 characters named in the bible who are verified historically archaeologically that's a stunning Uh, sort of number to have uh, anything like that Um, and and so that's a surprising thing all of the different genres you have within uh, scripture to have proverbs and poetry and uh, history and epistles this is astounding uh, because there's a real artistic richness uh, to that Um, and then we're looking at the church which is the most diverse in every way uh, and networked group on the planet uh i mean the, the stunning thing is we you know uh, don't really know each other but we're uh, uh, brothers uh, and it's astounding how quickly we can just meet people around the place and get hospitality mm-hmm. um this this is one of the amazing things that's happening within the church the uh levels of, of generosity that go on secret generosity that's going on uh, mm-hmm. Constantly the hospitality, and and just the whole mix of, of people you have there, and where else is this happening? Uh, so obviously there there is clarity that exists um, in other uh, sort of contexts, but um, for for ethnic diversity, can you can you beat the global church? I mean, religiously, yeah. um, you you can find a very high correlation between particular ethnicities and buddhism or islam or hinduism whatever um in a way that just wouldn't work with with the church uh, and culturally it, it's just you know the, the whole variety of different things that we call church uh, is really uh quite stunning as well
2: yeah, that that's a really interesting point okay so one more question that i just think about you know we live in a um just a day when when people are trying to change the narrative of the Bible, specifically with one area of transgender and homosexuality, yep. and there's a there's a there's a lot of people that are like, "Hey, look, this is a Christian-approved lifestyle, mm-hmm. and uh, and that the Bible now affirms this, and we've missed it for all these years." Help? Can you take a just a a, a pass at that yeah. question? And so, so, that so um
1: Scripture at the very beginning says, "He made them male and the female." Now, what we need to uncouple from that is the idea of masculine and feminine, okay? So males and females are different, and you look at you know, all sorts of data, you can see sorts of differences, but the ideas of masculine and feminine may be useful, but are not really found in the Bible in, as explicitly as male and female. So that means that testosterone and estrogen are not masculine, uh, they're not male and female things. I'm a male, 100% female. I could um, take estrogen for the rest of my life. I can't become less than 100% male. Mm -hmm. And what's happened is sometimes people have had this thing like a gender spectrum, where you think of your really manly men, and then your sort of normal men, and then your um, slightly effeminate men. And then you've got your manly women and your normal women and your super feminine women. There is no spectrum when it comes to male and female it's one hundred percent it's 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 a zero or a one it's a plus or a minus there is no spectrum mm-hmm. uh, and that's really important for us to stand understand that there is absolutely um that binary and that's where sometimes we have got confused because in um I think it's it, it's lovely if, if people want to work out do muscle and be a manly man and if, or if some one wants to be a uh, a, a feminine woman, that's also great. Uh, but we mustn't distinguish that sort of qualitative thing from the absolute that you cannot be a half male. You cannot be a half female. You're 100%. So Jesus addressed the issue of what's called non binary straight on. I mean, this is thing. He said, Some people are born eunuchs. So he said, There are three types of eunuchs. Um, some people are born uh, as eunuchs. Some people are. Um, uh, made that way by men, and some people make that way for the kingdom of God. But what a eunuch is not is half a male or half a female. They're not less male and female. But what it does allow is that there are some people uh, who are born not in the classic male form, not in the classic female form. And of course, priests who had to circumcise uh, all the boys uh, in Judaism, they knew about this. They they, they now. But what's unfortunately called intersex, which I think is a very unfortunate name, which, which are really just um, sometimes might be called developments of sexual di- uh, uh, disorder, that uh, they're just irregularities, like some people might be born with an extra finger or whatever, um, that you're still 100% male, 100% female. And what people have done is they've used this category of intersex to sort of, and then they've laid on top of that, the idea of a transgender, I can actually somehow move across, um, and create a lot of confusion. And it hasn't helped that we sometimes been squeamish about using the word sex, which obviously can apply to an activity. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it's become a bit of a rude word. And so we've preferred to use the word gender. And it can seem like it's all very fluid. So I think it's helpful just to get back to what scripture says, which is observationally absolutely sound. There's people who are 100% male, 100% female. There's nothing else.
2: And that that corresponds with biology.
1: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so that, that, that's scriptural. And what's happened now is, of course, there are all sorts of pharmaceutical interests in making people lifelong um, patients. There are um, uh, people who have all sorts of agendas. Some, some of them are getting access to uh, uh, children for nefarious purposes, and that's going on uh, under the aegis of uh, this this movement. And it does have to be. Uh, Resisted. uh, I I think it's it's uh, it's um, yes, it's 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 something where we need to uh, full out resist because we're talking about protecting children who are are being uh, attacked by this um, ideology. Now, thankfully, there are actually a number of resources by non Christians which are very helpful. I think of Abigail Shrier's book, or Shreya I don't know how to say it, uh, uh, "Irreversible Damage," which is talking particularly about how uh, this movement preys on. Uh, uh, young girls, many of them autistic, uh, there are other um, uh, such things who, which are written by uh, non-Christians, I think about Material Girls by Kathleen Stock, who's uh, I think an atheist, uh, um, so uh, not at all <laughs> uh, in the Christian camp, but just dealing with um, the fact that we are embodied and and that's that's real.
2: Mm. You know, and I think it's just interesting to see so many Christians that are saying, "Well, the Bible actually affirms homosexuality," and 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 I just uh, I just think it's a historic misinterpretation of of scripture. And how would you deal with that? Of of scholars coming out saying, "No, the Bible affirms these things."
1: Well, w- w- what I want to say is, um, it's not about how you feel. So, what's happened is people have created this identity uh, where they, they 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 talk about sexuality and they say there are people who are homosexual they're attracted to their own sex there are people who are heterosexual they're attracted to the other sex and um i'm not the sum of the impulses that spontaneously arise with me in me so it's important again to say um that uh, um i shouldn't define myself that way so i'm married to Catherine, and uh whatever impulses may arise spontaneously whatever thoughts may come uh, that, they they shouldn't define me i should be seeking to cultivate my relationship um with her and i think it's important for people to get away from this idea that we are if like victims of the impulses that we have that there are such things in us that we can't possibly resist i mean look there's a lot of Uh, advocating of vegetarianism and veganism in our culture despite the fact that people admit it's really quite natural for people to eat meat Uh, and and people say well you can override that uh, for the sake of this cause that you believe in right so people are advocating that or people are very happy for someone who is sporting and pursuing excellence in sports to say, as part of their training, at particular moments, they might ab- abstain from sexual activity. Uh, so people are very happy with the fact that actually, we we are not just victims of the urges that we feel. And that doesn't mean those urges aren't sometimes incredibly powerful, but we, we are beyond that. So I, I think it's important for us to, to do away with those categories. I think it's important for people like me not to define myself as heterosexual. I'm not heterosexual, I'm married to Catherine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't have, I don't define myself in those categories. So refuse the vocabulary as a way of defining um us um people and talk about LGBT communities. There isn't a community and what people are doing is constructing identities and then they're saying well how does the bible fit with that well it's got a completely different way of looking at us there's male and female Mm -hmm. and uh we also have a i think romance in marriage is a really good thing but we subtly allowed a romance to be the defining thing of marriage um rather than that there are marriages a building block for society mm-hmm. uh the, the building of families and having children and so on so I, th- I think we need to think about this in a a different way using the categories of scripture to do so
2: man what a great day um peter thank you for taking the time to be with us today It's oh, so my
1: pleasure on...
0: well peter it was such a blessing to get to spend time with you and hear some of what God has taught you. So thank you for taking time to share with us. It is an honor and a privilege to have you on our podcast. Thank you. And for today, that's a wrap. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of Time with Giants. Please remember to share our podcast, subscribe, or follow our podcast. And if you feel so led, please give to our podcast so that we can keep creating this content. We are so grateful that you joined us today. Please enjoy this song by Eric Wall
3: he came once and he will come again our savior he descended Thank He's restoring Eden. He'll dry the tears we.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Remember, following Jesus does not keep us from tough times, but he is faithful to walk with us through them all. You can trust God even when it's hard to see his hand or hear his voice. As always, our prayer is Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may overflow with hope us out by subscribing to our podcast and sharing it with others to be a monthly supporter click on the link in the show notes or go to our website at aliveforthfollowing.org see you next time on time with giants